This podcast is intended for a mature audience over 19 years of age and is provided on an educational and informational basis. Any material presented is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for professional medical advice or as an endorsement or medical claim by Patterson Media, Everything Podcasts, or any advertiser. Today on the Canadian Podcast, let's take a vacation. When you heard the term cannabis tourism, it used to mean heading to Amsterdam and going to a coffee shop. Now it's available in more countries and fully legal in some. But even in the countries where it's legal, it's not like you can go to Booking.com or Airbnb and find cannabis-friendly experiences. So travelers who want to indulge need a little guidance. We'll speak to the woman providing it. My name is Elizabeth Becker, and I am the CEO and founder of High B&B, which is a booking engine for cannabis-friendly accommodations, events, experiences, and adventures. Then we'll cast our eyes to Thailand, where cannabis has gone from being a reason for a five-year prison sentence... When they say zero tolerance, they mean it. ...to a big source of tourist dollars. It would create opportunities and revenues for our people. All in the space of a year. That's all after the latest pot news. Canadian cannabis company Organogram Holdings is asking a federal court to quash a Health Canada decision that the company's cannabis lozenges should be classified as edibles instead of extracts. The legal challenge could have broader implications for Canada's regulated cannabis sector and affect millions of dollars in sales of high-potency lozenges and similar products. Edibles are currently limited to a maximum of 10 milligrams of THC per package whereas extracts have a much higher limit of 1,000 milligrams. A newly published study provides fresh evidence that problematic cannabis use may lead to schizophrenia. The research delved into Danish health histories from 1972 to 2021. The study examined health records of just under 7 million people and found that up to 30% of schizophrenia diagnoses could have been prevented if men from 21 to 30 years old had not developed cannabis use disorder. The study does not prove directly that cannabis is the cause, but it does show a correlation of numbers which might suggest that. Cannabis growers and sellers in Thailand say they are being undercut by illegal imports from the United States. Thailand decriminalized cannabis in June 2022, but Thailand's parliament has yet to pass a cannabis bill, leaving the industry without any regulatory framework. A dispensary owner in Bangkok told Al Jazeera that local cannabis sells for around $9 a gram, but illegal imports are around the $5 mark. We'll have more on the flourishing new cannabis tourism industry in Thailand later in the show. That's the Pot News. I'm Jay Coburn. Back to you, Don. If you take a trip to BC's Okanagan region, there are plenty of options to tour the local wineries and try a few glasses. If you go to the theater, it's pretty reasonable to expect there will be a bar where you can grab a beer to enjoy during the show. The same is not true if your drug of choice comes in plant form. But where there's a gap in the market, there's an opportunity. And there are experiences out there that are cannabis-friendly or even cannabis-focused. It's just that finding them is difficult. So Elizabeth Becker started High B&B. Our producer, Karen Habashi, called her up to talk about building that business. My name is Elizabeth Becker, and I am the CEO and founder of High B&B, which is a booking engine for cannabis-friendly accommodations, events, experiences, and adventures. 
Can you tell me your experience with cannabis tourism? How hard was it to start this business? It's definitely an uphill battle to build something in cannabis tourism right now. There's so many things that are against us. First one, the regulations. There haven't been a lot of regulations that support cannabis tourism. There are no hotels or lodging where cannabis is accepted. And a lot of people in hospitality really don't like smoke. And they definitely don't want cannabis smoke. And so that's sort of the second thing that is against us is the stigma that's attached to cannabis use and the stereotype that people have about who the cannabis consumer is. So I got kind of frustrated after the legalization in Canada, where, you know, I thought, well, cannabis is legal, this is what it should look like. I am a cannabis enthusiast. It's brought a lot of depth and value to my life. I use it as a spiritual tool, as a creative tool, and I really enjoy it socially. And so I wanted to be able to offer an experience to other people where they could have the same thing, connect with other people socially, because we get so much value out of connecting with other people, especially with the help of cannabis and traveling and enjoying cannabis as part of my lifestyle so that it's not something that I have to hide or feel shame about go out and smoke in the rain there shouldn't be this level of negativity around cannabis use if it's legal right so we're a little bit ahead of the curve and it's going to catch up with us eventually but really happy to have a business that resonates with people that makes them feel really excited because yes this is how it should be there's been a lot of people jumping on it and helping along the way and what are types of cannabis tourism that's out there Everybody loves infused dining experiences. We're seeing a lot of yoga classes, comedy classes. There are a lot of retreats where you go that are sort of cannabis-centric retreats, tours that are cannabis-centric tours. So you're with people who also enjoy cannabis. We're trying to develop experiences like looking at the Northern Lights in the Yukon, fishing excursions that really work towards being in nature, relaxing, and cannabis you know, is a good complement to things like that. On the accommodation side, what people really want is to have an experience where it's like an all-inclusive. So to have the kind of host who is offering a cannabis bar, you know, with jars of different types of flowers so people can come in and, you know, develop their skills as a connoisseur. People are really looking for that kind of experience. But there's different types of cannabis tourism. There's cannabis tourists who are looking for the full-out cannabis experience. They want to tour a grow facility. They want to sample the local product that's in the region where they're traveling. And they, they want to go out and get really high and kind of party. So there's that type of cannabis tourism, which is all out. But there's also cannabis tourism where people are traveling and it's just part of their lifestyle that they enjoy. And they want to make sure that at the end of the day, they have a place where they can just sit and relax and smoke a joint and not have any hassles about it. You find that there is a difference between the international cannabis user going on cannabis retreats or touristic adventures and the Canadian tourists going on the same thing? Absolutely. Canadian tourists are somewhat desensitized because there is so much access to cannabis in Toronto, where I live. 
there's, I don't know, sometimes five cannabis dispensaries on one block. And so having access to cannabis isn't that big a deal. And the general public, because it's legal, they figure that people are going to smoke cannabis anyways. There's not such a stigma here in Canada. So we're finding that some people aren't quite getting high B&B. They're like, well, why do I need a place to smoke? I'm just going to smoke anyway, or I'm going to step outside and smoke. But it's really a different attitude to Americans and especially people who are in Europe or even in Asia. We've had some Japanese tourists who they just want to experience cannabis culture. It's like, oh, I'm here in Canada. I want to book with high B&B. Show me cannabis culture. So we're looking for hosts in Canada who want to help celebrate that and who want to host these international tourists who want to come and see what cannabis culture is here. So is cannabis tourism more directed towards the Canada-curious tourist rather than the person who is more of a regular user? That's a really good question. We are targeting the cannabis-curious tourist with high B&B. That's the market that we're looking to develop the person who is an experienced user, when they're traveling, they're going to want a place that is hassle-free for them, especially if they're traveling in a place where it's not legal to smoke in public and where you can't travel with it. So they're going to want to have a place where access to cannabis is a little bit easier. So they are two different markets. But for me, the exciting part is the cannabis-curious market. Do you think... This is an industry that's untapped by the government and they're not giving enough resources or approvals to help propagate it. It breaks my heart. Like what you're saying, absolutely. We have such an opportunity here in Canada to be the destination for cannabis culture. There's such a great opportunity here and we're missing out on it because the government's not supporting it. And I'm seeing it starting to develop in other places. Mexico is starting to get all over it. South Africa, they are so excited. And the government's supporting cannabis tourism there because they understand what a huge industry it is and how much economic gains it can bring to the country. I'm a proud Canadian. I got so excited that Canada was first to legalize federally. And it really, really breaks my heart that we can't develop the type of cultural attraction to bring so many dollars into the country. Why do you think they're not trying to advertise it or push it like other countries? You said Mexico and South Africa. Canada can be the number one destination, like you said. Why aren't they helping? What's preventing them? Well, from what I understand, and I have had a few direct conversations with Health Canada, they were under a lot of scrutiny as the first country to legalize internationally. Japan was really hard on them. France was very, very hard on them. And so the government felt that it's a lot easier to add permissions than it is to take away. So they specifically decided to legalize the sale of cannabis just so happens that they can tax that and make a lot of money from it. And they specifically did not change any regulations around public consumption because if all of a sudden Canada turns into a place where all these druggies are on the street, passed out or, or wherever their imaginations are going to take them, that's connected to the stigma and the reefer madness craze about who cannabis consumers are, right? So their minds ran away with them if they aren't cannabis enthusiasts at the government level making these regulations. So they specifically 
held back knowing that they can review in three and five years and start adding permissions. It was kind of the safe route for them. How do you advertise for your industry, like for people to come and like, oh, we have those adventures and retreats and places that are cannabis friendly. How do you get it out there? We're struggling too. It's not so easy. Instagram and Facebook have a no cannabis guideline. So they'll shut you down as they shut many people. So advertising isn't easy. We have to rely on other businesses in cannabis and purchase emailing through them on their lists and having live events and handing out flowers and posting in groups, Facebook groups and word of mouth. Not easy. Because of the restrictions around marketing, I feel very strongly that the industry needs to support one another more. All of the producers, the LPs, they should open up their email lists and assist us because we want to promote through them. If we grow, they grow too. But everybody is so busy running around trying to keep and save their business because it's such a struggle right at this point. And the only way we're going to survive and start thriving is by banding together a little bit more and supporting each other without wanting to know what the return is. So for Canada to be the, the next Amsterdam, what are the steps that need to be done? Well, we need to allow cannabis consumption in public places. So there needs to be some licenses where people can come together and it is okay to consume cannabis with each other. And I think that that has to be around smoking, cannabis consumption. In my mind, when I think about cannabis tourism, I get really excited about little things. And that's why I created High B&B. I want to be able to book a belly dance class that's cannabis friendly. I want to be able to go on a fishing trip or little things. It, when you look at entertainment in our lives, it's totally different when you add cannabis to it. And so for me, cannabis tourism, I'd like to see grow and thrive into something, all the permissions that they have with, with alcohol. That was Elizabeth Becker, CEO and founder of HiBnB. That's H-I-B-N-B dot C-A. She was speaking with our producer, Karen Habashi. Thailand's a place where when they say zero tolerance, they mean it. Where more than 2,000 drug traffickers were killed on the streets last year. Just over a year ago in Thailand, you could be jailed for five years for possessing cannabis. Let's go to Thailand now, which has become the first country in Asia to legalize the growing and possession of marijuana. Now, there are over 4,000 businesses selling cannabis and cannabis products across the country. So this is a completely different Thailand that a, a lot of people recognize. Bangkok is awash with dispensaries. And right there you can see in this green sign, this huge green sign, says Plantopia Weed City. And there's even a whole cannabis shopping mall called Plantopia. This sudden liberalization is very different from Canada's. It happened so quickly that Thailand's parliament hasn't had time to write meaningful regulations. So it's all a bit of a Wild West show right now. When it comes to weed, nobody's really sure what you can do and can't in Thailand. 
So, how did Thailand end up here? Let's go back to the 1970s and start this story. In the hills of northern Thailand, in an area known as the Golden Triangle, local tribes grew cannabis. It was widely used for cooking in Thailand, as well as for smoking. The tribes would tie buds around bamboo or hemp stick using silk. If you've ever encountered Thai stick, you know what I'm talking about. This wasn't a big deal at the time, but it was the 60s and 70s, and Thailand shares a border with Vietnam. This is Play Coup, 250 miles north of Saigon, the airbase that was ripped by Vietnamese communist guerrillas. Eight Americans died in the attack that brought swift retaliation by U.S. and South Vietnamese forces. So when American soldiers fighting in the Vietnam War needed a little R&R, they came to Thailand. In Thailand, they discovered those fat green cigars, the Thai sticks, and they liked them so much they started shipping them back to the U.S. In fact, in the 70s, a lot of the drugs making their way into the U.S. came from the Golden Triangle, with the help of U.S. soldiers. And it wasn't all cannabis. Opium was also grown there, and heroin made its way back to America as well. Then, the war wound down. Saigon, April the 30th, 8 o'clock. The last American helicopter on the roof of the American embassy prepares to lift off the last of the evacuees fleeing before the advancing communist armies. The U.S. government wasn't happy with the flow of narcotics. They put pressure on Thailand to ban cannabis. In 1979, the Thai government passed sweeping drug laws with harsh punishments, including the death penalty. Not surprising, the U.S. government got its way. Predictably, those strict drug laws led to overcrowding in Thailand's prisons. Two-thirds of the population were in for drug offenses, and many of them were minor. It's not a good life, not because it's such a long time, because the drug, very serious crime in Thailand. In the last 12 months, more than 72,000 arrests have been made, 2,500 suspected drug dealers and traffickers have been shot dead, and still, the drugs keep coming. It's no coincidence that the decriminalization of cannabis in Thailand was accompanied by the release of thousands of prisoners all doing time for cannabis offenses. With a creaking prison system, one of the leaders of Thailand's major political parties made cannabis decriminalization a big part of his platform. This is Anutin Charnvirakul, who is now Thailand's health minister. Cannabis policy was the main campaign during the election back in 2019. And our party believed that if we used cannabis in the proper way, it would create opportunities and revenues for our people. He even went so far as giving out a million free cannabis plants. The idea was to turn cannabis into Thailand's cash crop. But in Thailand, politics is a game of coalitions and clashes. Things don't happen quickly, so cannabis got legalized without a whole lot of regulation. Parliament just hasn't had the time to write them. That means that if you want something weed-related, you can probably get it. Wow, this is some, this is some very nice-looking weed right here. <laughs> How do you sell this? Uh, is it by joint or by gram? Dispensaries are technically supposed to record every customer and their purchase. It's just not clear if that's happening. 
They're also supposed to have licenses, but even here in heavily regulated Canada, that doesn't always happen. And there's another election coming, which means that cannabis is once again on the ballot. Some parties are talking about recriminalization, others are talking about better regulation. Either way, with neon green weed leaf signs decorating stores all over Bangkok, it's hard to imagine cannabis going away. Next month on the Canadian Podcast. This is the inland seaport of Amsterdam, capital of the Netherlands. Another much older cannabis tourism destination, Amsterdam. We'll hear from someone who's been running a cannabis coffee shop there for over 30 years and find out what's next for the city's cannabis culture. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Canadian Podcast. Hit the subscribe or follow button to make sure you do. And while you wait for the next episode, go to westernbuzz.ca. The Canadian Podcast is an everything podcast production in partnership with Patterson Media. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the podcast team or our partners. This show is intended for a 19-plus audience. Thanks to our team, creative director Cliff Dumas, showrunner Kevin Habashi, senior writer Jay Coburn, and our sound engineer is John Massacar. I'm Don Schaefer. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Podcast, the authority on cannabis in Canada. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.